All right, so we're going on with our teaching on the book and how the Bible has an amazing unity to it that a lot of people don't realize. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And if we took time to read it, we would find that it, in a profound way, agrees with itself and is in unity with itself. And when you think about that for a moment, on how that could be possible, if you consider over a period of 1,600 years, get that number, 1,600 years, that's 16 centuries straight, with 40 different authors at different languages, times of world history, cultural surroundings, how could a book be written over that much time by that many diverse people create a document that is in such unity with itself and that these people do not have discrepancies and disagreements with what these things mean, what God is saying, what the truth of the scripture is telling the world. There is no discrepancy. And I began to read the Bible as a new Christian and I was shocked at how much what is said over here in the beginning is also said somewhere in the middle and out here at the end. And I would be reading along, and I'd think, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's somewhere else in the Bible. And back in the day when we didn't have smartphones and we had big, thick books, you had to have a very large desk, and you had all these books on the table to get down to the bottom of what you suspected might be in your Bible. And we were really reading the Bible then. I mean, I'm telling you, you went to church with a big Bible, and you came home and you had a big stack of books, where now it's, you know, I have like a 10,000 volume uh, library in my smartphone. Your average person is not used to reading books and studying books, is the point I'm trying to make. It's uh, all in our hand. And depending on how you use that, actually could be greatly to your advantage. And this is what I mean. I love the fact that on my iPad, I have a 10,000 volume library. Because to be honest, to go all the way down to the library and get the card catalog out and walk all those aisles of books was really cool, I guess. But having it right there, oh man, can we learn. I've got Greek and Hebrew and all this stuff going on here. Oh, man, I could have stared at this for hours because there's this endless chain of connectivity. I would really encourage you all to get a Bible app called Olive Tree get olive tree, and then you'd be surprised how many free commentaries are available. For example, I believe Matthew Henry is free. That is a really easy-to-understand commentary, and there are certain apps you can get, or let me say this, uh, book upgrades inside the app that will give you a Strong's Exhaustive Hebrew and Greek translation. So this means if you put your fingertip on a word, the Greek rendering will come up and give you Greek definitions or Hebrew definitions. And I think that's like $25 or $30. And so I know that sounds like a lot of money to spend, but you'd be surprised how much you would use it if you had it. And then there are some other commentaries worth mentioning. For the Old Testament, there's an old German commentary called Kyle and Leach. It costs a little bit of money, but it's a brilliant commentary. These guys were very conservative and do not take a lot of liberties with the Scripture. 
And they helped me understand the unity of the Bible as I began to read these commentaries. And so I would encourage you that you don't have to go down to the library anymore or have a big stack of books on your desk. Right there on your laptop, your iPad, or your phone, you could get after studying right now and learn amazing things. Sometimes I'm astonished. The information available about God. So tonight we're talking about unity. So I want to start off with this. There are 66 books in the whole Bible, 27 New Testament books, 39 Old Testament books, 40 authors, 1,600 years. One more time, 66 books, 27 New Testament books, 39 Old Testament books, 40 different authors, 1,600 years, all with the same mind, speaking out of the same unity. So our handout says that from beginning to end, it all fits together. The Scripture explains and clarifies the Scripture. When I said a few moments ago that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, oftentimes when we're reading something in the New Testament, there is a whole catalog of information in the Old Testament that is the foundation of the New Testament statement. When you were reading, say, something that was written by Paul, and he talks about the church being like a temple or being like a building being built together. Well, where is he getting that metaphor? Well, if you go back and look at 2 Chronicles 7 and how a temple was built and it was the dwelling place of God and the power of God fell like fire and lit the offering on fire and smoke came in and filled the house and the glory of God was there and knocked all the priests on their face, there's a whole catalog of information to say, oh, that's what the day of Pentecost was about. Oh, that's what the end of Ephesians chapter 2 is about when the Bible says we are all being built together into a spiritual house to be the dwelling place of God and the Spirit. Oh, that's what that means. And all of a sudden, what could look like a very odd statement actually comes together because there's tons of imagery laying the foundation, interpreting that for you. The ability to do that makes reading the Bible very different. Because what we see is the exhaustive mind of God working in many places, especially when you're new to this. My mom and I are a little crazy. We'll just put that as a disclaimer. (laughs) But when we were new in the things of God, and by new, I don't mean two weeks. I mean like the first five years of our Christianity, we would just sit at a table with our Bibles. Remember, no devices, no computers. And we would just sit there with our Bibles and say, did you know the Bible says this? Oh, wait, I was reading that over here. And sometimes we were so crazy, we would be up till the sun came up. We'd be up all night comparing notes while my poor wife was wondering where I was and uh, what are you doing? Have you been with your mother again? I have. And so it's like someone has to get up with the children in the morning, Tom. So my wife was really good to me. She has more reward in heaven than I do. But what was going on there is that something was burning in us um, that said the Bible speaking to us in many places at once. And it's like this confirms this. And then this speaks of that. And I was reading this, and the Lord reminded me of this passage. And all of a sudden, the Bible is this amazing field of revelation. And you start moving through it. And the more you do that, The more you read it and the more the Lord brings to understanding to you and brings light to you and brings grace to you, the vast size of God's revelation and yet the intricate continuity is shocking. And it amazes me how God intended to say things and took great care to make sure that they were said to exactly represent his mind and his will. 
So God gave us a complete book, and we cannot know the whole story, let alone discover the mysteries by reading or even studying in depth passages in isolation. Did you see that statement there? And I just want to say something else about isolation, though this is not in the passage. The Bible says that know this, that no matter of scripture of prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation. No scripture of prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation. So not only do we not read the texts in isolation, but we also don't read the book in isolation, making it say what we want it to say. One thing I love about walking with other men and women of God, especially ones that know the scripture, is the ability to talk about the Bible in such a way where we help sharpen and clarify one another on what the scripture is really saying, and we don't get off in a corner with our own version of it. This is where a lot of bad things happen, and they get in disunity with the scripture. So the themes of Scripture are consistent, telling one story from beginning to end. I'm just going to take a shot at that and say this. The story it's telling is God's love and mercy and plan for man, man's fall from that love and grace and falling into sin, and then God working humans back into relationship with him, culminating in the Son of God coming to the earth, giving his life, being raised from the dead so that we could enter into relationship with him and then that there would be a people that loved him and knew him and worshiped him until he returned and then set man back into the original place he had given him in the beginning. That's a perfect unity. We start at a place and we end at a place. And the journey along the way has God's work all through it. It's one unified book. One story from beginning to end. So let's just take a look at this for a moment. In the book of Genesis, the book begins with eternity saying that the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth and there was in deep darkness and the eternal presence of God moved on the world and then generated its reality. Where does it end? In the book of Revelation, we end in eternity with God in perfection in worship to him, forevermore to be with the Lord. Man was made righteous in the beginning. At least he was born without sin. And we will be living in eternity right with God. Where it begins, it ends. Night and day. The book of Revelation, no more night. Beginning, the book of Genesis, there's trees. Two trees in the garden in Genesis, one tree in the book of Revelation. The Garden of Eden. In Genesis, the probationary place God created for man to live in to see what he would do. In the ending, the book of Revelation, the heavenly city, the garden city. In the beginning, there's the heaven and the earth. In the ending, there's a new heaven and earth. In the beginning, there's Adam and Eve, the first man and his wife. In the ending of the book of Revelation, it's Jesus and his bride. In the beginning, there's unity and family, God and man. At the end, there's God and his people. It's a family. In the beginning, an enemy arises. In the book of Revelation, at the end, all enemies are under his feet forever. In the beginning, two kingdoms. In the ending of the book of Revelation, one kingdom. And it's interesting, there's even more similarities. There's rivers in both books. There's there's trees for healing. In fact, 
we don't have time to do it tonight, but I always encourage people to do this, to find the amazing unity of the Bible. Try this out for size sometime. It's something you could do in 20 minutes. Read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then skip to the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And then imagine for a moment, if you could, the rest of the Bible didn't exist. And what you would find is four chapters of amazing synchronicity. Trees, rivers, perfect humans, the presence of God, peace, love, joy, righteousness, worship, right? God being in the midst of his people, no sin, no devil, none of that. Just God and his people in perfect unity and in the presence of God and the love of God. And the rest of that, after Genesis 2, starting in chapter 3, all the way up to the end of Revelation, before we get into the garden passages, is sin and God's work to get us out of it and to get us back to him so that those last two chapters could be real. How many of you are grateful to God that he sent his son to get you out of that? There is a great harmony, this isn't in your notes, on how the books are built. In the books of the Old Testament, you have basically the law, which is the first five books of the Pentateuch, and then the 12 historical books. Then you have the book of Psalms, the poetical books, and then you have the prophets. The New Testament has the New Testament history and the doctrinal epistles. And somehow, each book, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the books of the Old Testament and the books of the New Testament, lay out its beginning and the journey to the end. They both do the same thing. We start off with the beginning of Jesus Christ, and the beginning was the Word of God. And we end with his death and resurrection and go into the book of Acts and the history of how the church got started. And then the 22 doctrinal epistles lay out the process, just like it did in the books of the prophets. It's like the letters are being written to people on how to live. There's a harmony there. There's a unity of thought in God's purpose. It's a beautiful thing. So the new is the old explained. The old is the new expanded. The new is the old enfolded. The old is the new unfolded. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. Did you know that every book of the Old Testament has something to say about Jesus Christ coming? There is some kind of reference about Jesus in every single book. Can you think of that? Right? Who is he in all these books? In Genesis, who is he? He's the great creator and the redeemer. In Exodus, he's the great lawgiver, and he's able to be the great deliverer out of bondage. It's Jesus doing that, right? He's the great king in some of these books. Some of these books, he's the great shepherd. He's the great prophet that would be one that would come after Moses, like Moses, He's the suffering servant, according to the book of Isaiah, the one that would suffer and hang on a tree for our sins. He's the loyal husband to those who fall away in some of the prophetic books, that he's always married to them and bringing them back. He's waiting for his bride to come back to him. In the Old Testament, 
the new is in there. It's just concealed. This is why Jesus said when he came, the people that were supposed to be ready for him, if they had known the word of God, they would have known that he was the son of God. Because he says, you examine the scriptures. You don't realize that these speak of me. They didn't get it. Isn't that amazing? I talked about that last week, but it's still fascinating to me that the people that should have known him the most knew him the least. They could not see that he was in the Old Testament all the time. The old is in the new explained. I want to go over that again. There are so many things in the Old Testament that if you leave it where it is, it seems to be unfulfilled, unfinished. It ends at the book of Malachi at the end saying that one was coming. He hadn't come yet, but he was coming. And he would arise with righteousness. And he was coming back for us. Until the New Testament happens, we don't know who that is. But when Jesus comes and begins to fulfill all the Old Testament verses, the whole explanation of things starts coming to light through the words of Jesus Christ and what happens in the book of Acts and through the apostles' writings. For example, most people wouldn't have thought the serpent was the devil prior to the New Testament era. They wouldn't have thought that. That light comes later. You think Old Testament people thought the the devil was the serpent. They didn't know that. They weren't even sure what heaven was. They called it Sheol. They didn't know. And they had very interesting ways to say things. Jesus comes and brings great clarity to a lot of topics, a lot of subject to the Old Testament, all become clear. And this is why Jesus would say, haven't you read? And the apostles would say, it says somewhere. And they would quote all these scriptures. And they explain all these interesting facts and stories in light of what's happening in front of them right now. In the New Testament, the Old Testament gets explained. And we'll skip a couple of these others here, but I just want to say this one. The new is in the Old Testament concealed. The Bible says this, the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to seek it out. There is concealment of truth in the Old Testament that we are still working through in the New Testament. So thinking about when is Jesus going to come back and what is that going to be like when Jesus returns? Well, there's Old Testament prophecies. There's New Testament prophecies, and people have debated this for ages. But the truth is, those things are in there, and they're concealed, and they get explained in the New Testament. Old Testament ideas about resurrection, for example, get explained in the New Testament. When the Son of God raised from the dead, that put a whole new light on what resurrection is. And his promise that we would be raised from the dead gives a whole new light on resurrection. So, because the book of Hebrews writer, chapter 6, says resurrection from the dead is something they've already understood for a long time. That is a Hebrew idea, because he's writing to the book of Hebrews. So, he's speaking to the Hebrew tradition that there would be people raised from the dead. In fact, um, I think it's Mary who says to the Lord, I know that we will be raised in the end, when he's talking about Lazarus. It's Martha. He says he's going to live again. And she says, I know that he'll be raised. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. These people knew about resurrection. But that's an Old Testament thing concealed. In the New Testament, um, it becomes revealed. That becomes a clear understanding, and they experience it, and it becomes an eternal promise for us. And so when we say we believe something, it isn't because 
bread of life has a doctrine. When we say we're going to make sure that we live a certain way and there will be no shortcuts on that way, where are we getting the authority to say such statements? The Word of God. And the Word of God, and I don't mean by the Word of God little weird statements that we pulled out of somewhere to make an idea out of. I mean volumes of truth agreeing with itself, saying the same thing over and over again with great power, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, so that what it says is the truth is not a matter of my opinion. It's not a matter of what I think it says. It's not a matter of what I want it to say to suit my situation. Everyone in here needs to understand that we don't come to this party with an agenda with something that we want to be true because we want it to be true, and therefore we have this version of Christianity. It is founded on a 1,600-year-old writing inspired by God, laid in 66 books through 40 different authors, where God took painstaking care to make sure that he said to man exactly what he wanted to say in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that we know that it was him speaking because how they are concealed in one another and revealed in one another and carry an incredible unity, they speak with power. And as that gets into our hearts, we begin to be convinced of God's word. And out of that place, we live and we see the world through a lens of the scripture. Everybody in here has a view of the world. It's called your worldview. You have a view of the world. And the thing is, is what is the window you're looking through to view the world? Do we see it through our political ticket? Do we see it through our race? Do we see it through our culture? Do we see it through our life experience? Do we see it through our gifts and talents? Or do we stand apart from it and not look at it as some subjective thing that says, well, I get to decide what I think about it, but I look at it objectively as it stands apart from me all by itself, and rules my life, and I see that the unity of what it speaks is so powerful. I have no choice but to submit to what it says. We're in something right here that I just want to stay on this for a few more minutes, because here's the point. If I say, well, knowing the Word of God isn't that important, and whether it's in unity or not, doesn't really matter. I'm just enjoying the food and being around everyone. That is a great place to begin. It's great to begin with the food and the relationships and the being the love and the presence of God. But I want to encourage you, you will not be able to face the trials of life and you will not be able to stand the fight that's coming to take away your life without the word of God living in you. And if I don't see the incredible compact unity of it, it will not carry me because the scripture will speak to me over and over again the same truth and put strength in my heart to stand before God and say, I believe God, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and be able to refute sin and be able to refute the devil and darkness coming upon my life. There were seasons, I should dig this song out. There was this time in my life where I, I found this song where these, these wonderful singers came out with this song and they sang who Jesus was in every book of the Bible. And they just declared who he was in 66 books. That's what the song was. And I used to just stand there in the presence of God and listening to that song 
Because each one of those explained how he was the great healer, how he was the servant, how he was the prophet, how he was the great lion, how he was the king, and how he loved us. And it was overwhelming. And if you let this live in your heart and you think about this enough, it'll start working in you where what you think about all day will be the word of God. This may sound strange, but it is possible to have fellowship with God all day with the word of God in your heart. Just constantly meditating on it. To ruminate the word of God making a turn, like a slow 3D turn in your mind. This revolving it around in your mind and thinking about it and seeing it from every angle. And to slowly process and to consider what it says. And to find the joy of searching it out and seeing the power in its unity. Something that's important to note here is Jesus himself confirmed the writings of the Old Testament. He said they were inspired by God. Did you know that? Jesus fully believed the Old Testament was without error. The apostles endorsed the Old Testament. None of them thought it was flawed. So 400 years after the last book is written, everyone in the New Testament that had anything to say was getting all their inspiration from the Old Testament. Historical records provide much proof of the credibility of the Scripture's unity. The many names mentioned in the Scriptures are also mentioned in ancient historical records of other nations, claiming these two are connected. Old Testament and New Testament are connected. We're scratching the surface, but I'm putting things in the room to give us to think about. When I take up my Bible on Sunday morning and I come to church with it, I need to look at it differently. I need to carry it differently. I need to pick it up and read it differently. It's not this, what is this odd book? This interesting thing, what is this thing? No, no, no. It's a lot more than that. I think that's good.